Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode 109 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Today, we have a super fun interview that I have been holding for a while. Um, I've wanted her on the show for forever, and we just never get around to it. But it's one of my best friends, Sophie Littlefield. Sophie has the distinct, pleasurable honor of being... um, (laughs) one of the two people I think in the world that I've ever met who are more stubborn than I am. And I love her for it. We kind of claimed each other as friends more than 10 years ago now at my very first RWA meeting, Romance Writers of America. And if I haven't said it recently, if you have a kiss that might occur in one of your books someday, you should go to your local RWA chapter and join. You will learn more from them than you can in any master's program, no matter what genre you're writing. We have horror writers and thriller writers and, and um, heck, I'm not even going to write romance after this next one comes out, but I am never going to not be a member of RWA, even if it's as an associate, uh, because I believe in what they do and what they teach. And anyway, my very first RWA I ever went to, I had been toiling completely alone. I had written this book and had gotten an agent and she'd sold it before I even went to my first RWA meeting, uh, which was a real waste of time because I could have learned a lot while um, I was going through that process alone. But I sat next to Sophie and she just put her hand on my arm and she claimed me. She said, we're going to be friends. And she was right. So she is on the show today. You're going to love her. Um, We were in a taxi cab recently and we could not figure out a genre that one of us hadn't written. And I mean, all the genres. Uh, So yeah, still haven't thought of one that we have not written. Um, Together, we write a lot. She writes more than I do. She is such a hard worker. She's a devastatingly hard worker. And I admire that in her. And also, she's really funny and sweet and incredibly smart. So you're going to love the interview um, with my friend Sophie. That is coming up. And meanwhile, it is mid-month as I record this, mid-November 2018. And we are smack dab in the middle of NaNoWriMo, or as I am now calling it, since I heard a friend Meredith call it this, uh, NaNoWriMo, or (laughs) NoNoWriMo. I am really, you guys, I'm not kidding. Um, I wrote my first NaNoWriMo words on the 10th and uh, it's the 14th as I record this and I've only got 4,000 words and it feels great. I'm breaking all the rules instead of being the rule follower that I always am. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm trying to fail at writing words, but I am not getting them done and I'm not caring and it feels awesome. It feels really good. It is exactly what I need right now. Sometimes we need nano to push us and sometimes we need nano to um, flip off as it goes by. Said with all love because I would never flip off nano. It is the best thing ever and it is um, something that my career is directly responsible. Directly, what is the, what am I trying to say here? You know, um, it was part of what brought me here today. My very first nano attempt turned into my very first book. 
And it was just one of those lucky things. But um, I love NaNoWriMo with all my heart. And just like, you know, the kid that you love with all your heart, it's okay to push him away a little bit too. But I am having fun when I write my words. These are these are NaNoRebel memoir words, and they're about Venice, and they're just so fun. I'm having a wonderful time. So I wanted to share that with you. I'm also having a really good day. I just talked to two... Um, coach coaches two clients uh that I'm not really taking new clients on an ongoing basis right now um but I do have clients through Patreon and we talk once a month and we go over their work and they are so inspiring to me I should be paying them but I'm not gonna uh it's wonderful it's just the the very very coolest thing to be able to do and I just did a bunch of that this afternoon and um it's kind of, well, it's not overcast outside. We are in hell over here smoke-wise. I try not to complain about the smoke too much here in California because um, we're not in hell. My house is still standing. There was um, a terrifying moment two nights ago when I came over the hill and I saw this enormous brush fire um, basically right where our house is. And I called home and Lala answered and she was not out of breath. She wasn't upset. So it wasn't our house that was on fire, but I thought it was for a moment. Um, and I came down and the brush was catching in the creek that's behind our house. And they lost a house. They lost an apartment complex. I can't remember how many people displaced, but quite a few. And that was just a few, uh, you know, a block away from our house on the same side of the creek. So um, there are a few tense touch and go moments there, but nothing like paradise. Of course, this is the middle of Oakland. They were able to get it out, thank God. And um, But the smoke is incredible. I've never, ever had this. We get smoky days where it's hard to breathe and we all use respirators. You know, your your trusty N95. Mine is always with me. I always carry it in my backpack no matter where I go. Um, but this time last year when we were having to use our respirators, it was a cleaner smoke. And honestly, um, and literally the smoke right now is is so much worse. It's it's black and heavy and way more toxic. Um, the air quality numbers that I've seen are staggering. They are unhealthy and toxic to be outside in um, because everything that's been burning, um, you know, 250 kilometers inland is our houses and houses and what they carry in them are so much more toxic. You can tell when something is burning by the color, what it is. And like, if you see a plume from far away and it's white smoke, that's just, that's brush burning. If it's black smoke, it's a structure. And that's just full of chemicals and toxins and, and horrible things. So it's pretty nasty to be outside. So nobody's outside when we are, most people are using their respirators if they have them. And a lot of people don't have them. And that makes me sad. Um, I always see old people walking around and I always want to give them my respirator. Maybe I should get some extras. Um, I've actually donated some money to a cause who does take them to the homeless people in the area because they don't have them and they need them. They're outside all the freaking time. So on that cheery note, um, it is still nice weather, even with this horrible haze that I'm looking out at. Um, business news. I just got back my revisions on my last romance, TM. Uh, the third of the Ballad Brothers series, uh, which I fell in love with as, fine, as soon as I finished writing it. And apparently my editor, who is really a hard editor, she's the editor I've learned most from. She's my hired editor. Um, and I've learned more from her than most of my traditionally published editors. She And she used to be a traditional um, 
publishing editor and now she's freelance and and uh she liked it too so that is awesome so i've got about a week and a half to do those revisions and then get it to my copy editor and then hopefully i'll have that out in a couple of weeks i am not feeling confident about the covers that i had contracted for really literally three years ago um because i got the first two books out quickly and then never got around to writing the third so i might see about getting new covers for the whole series. But um, that's another question for another afternoon. And honestly, I'm pretty hungry. It's a uh, 2.13 and I need to eat some lunch. So um, let's wrap this party up and get you into the interview with Sophie, which is fabulous. Uh, real quickly, huge thanks to new patrons, Carmen Butner and Alex Wolfson. You guys make the difference. All of you guys who support me on patreon.com slash Rachel, you are the difference that allows me to write these essays that are honestly one of my top two favorite things to write. You guys get the essays every month. Just a buck will get you the essays and the back catalog of, I think there's almost 20 of them now. There's two books worth in there um, that would all be yours if you'd like to support. You can look at all the other perks, uh, patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L. Now, I hope that you get your own writing done. Um, by the time we talk next, American Thanksgiving will have come and gone. I hope you're uh, prepping for that. I prepped. I am fully prepped. I made the reservation and I'm looking forward to a restaurant Thanksgiving, which we've done once before. And it is as awesome as it sounds. There will only be six of us as various family members are flung far and wide this year. And uh, it's going to be great. No dishes. And then you can just go home to a quiet house. So, um, but I hope your plans make you as giddy as mine make me. And I hope that you're getting your writing in, whether you're doing nano or not, um, that you are getting time for your words, that you're making time, that you're stealing time and that you're doing that. So keep me posted. How do you write.net? Come leave a comment um, or hit me at Facebook, Twitter, or email. I always respond. Although often it is not very timely uh, because I'm writing as you should be. So do that. Let me know. And we will talk soon, my friends. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my Stop Stalling and Write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. Well, I could not be more pleased. I always say that, but I could not be more pleased today to welcome Sophie Littlefield to the show. Hi, Sophie. Hi. Little introduction for you. Called a writing machine by the New York Times and a master storyteller by Midwest Book Review, Sophie Littlefield has written dozens of novels for adults and teens. She has won Anthony, uh, yes, she's won Anthony and RT Book Awards and been shortlisted for Edgar Barry Crimesbury, McCavity, and Goodreads Choice Awards. She writes historical fiction under the name Sophia Grant, and her latest novel, The Daisy Children from William Morrow, explores a little-known disaster in a small Texas town, and she's one of my favorite people in the whole world, literally. So um, it's really funny to me that we hadn't even ever connected over Skype. Like I didn't, I had to ask you for your Skype address. And I had to look it up because I didn't know. But I don't ask you when I go in your purse, you know, I know exactly that I need a $20 bill or, you know, a Tylenol. I'm just going to dive right in. So. Right. Dresser drawers, closets, all of it. You're welcome. Anytime. 
I'd rather talk to you in person, but it's such a treat to talk to you here. And I'm so excited about the book that just came out, The Daisy Children. And you know that I think it's, um, I think it's my favorite out of yours so far. And I read all it's of yours. It's my favorite too, ex- except for my creepy apocalyptic series, which will always be dear to my heart. But other than that, that's my favorite. Your creepy apocalyptic series and this book, those are my four favorite books by you. Literally. Oh. I will never get over After Time. I just love After Time. So if you like creepy ap- apocalyptic horror slash awesome zombies, but not zombies, but zombies. Cannibals. They're what? Cannibals. Cannibals. <laughs> Go check those out. But if you like... <laughs> Um, well, we'll get into the Daisy Children a little bit, but first of all, um, I want to talk to you about your writing process. This is something I personally know intimately because we do a lot of writing together. Um, yeah, you've been there from, almost from the start, yeah. watching me write. So, so yeah. tell, tell me how you do, tell us how you get your work done because you produce an incredible volume of books, not all under your name. You do ghostwriting, you've done, um, co-writing. And then you write these, all these books under Sophie Littlefield and Sophia Grant. So how do you get that done? Well, kind of the way you do it, which I know because I've sat shoulder to shoulder with you, we just sit down and get it done. I mean, I have a little secret weapon, which you know about, but not many people do, which is since I was recently diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, I now take Adderall. Um, But before that, I really had a lot of focus issues. And I think that meant that I had to sit in the chair longer than necessary. Mm. So I, but I'm very disciplined about getting in that chair. So now that I live on my own, my kids are grown. Most days I get up, make coffee, um, do a little bit of exercise. And then I sit down in the chair and I drink that coffee till it's gone. Um, Decaf these days. Um, And yeah, I get up around noon and brush my teeth. And sometimes I even take a shower. Um, (laughs) By then the Adderall has worn off. So then I try to transition into non-creative work, like, you know, the things we have to do to keep our books out in the world, um, answering queries, sometimes writing nonfiction I can do in the afternoon. And then um, I try to get some more exercise. And then after dinner, I sit down and write until close to bedtime. I take an hour or so to read at the end of the day. And that's not every day. Well, I have this year because, as you know, because I've leaned on you quite a bit, this is a big deadline year for me, and I had to do a lot of writing and rewriting. So this year, I'm doing that more often than I would like. So I'm probably doing that most days. But ordinarily, I think that's kind of an insane schedule. And um, what I find is best for me is if I can work, I like to take some time off in the middle of the day. I'm definitely in the chair for eight hours or more, but I think that a little balance would be nice. And maybe get a chance to get back to my hobbies. So Your year has been pretty crazy. Can I tell a story on you? That story that I love about the puppies? Oh, yeah, I guess you can. <laughs> it's embarrassing, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it is. it really does say something to your work ethic that you had a book due. You got it in not at midnight when it was due. You got it in a couple hours early. And you, and you had to get back to this other book that you needed to write. And your sister was coming over to look at the puppies at my house. And you emailed yeah. me and said that you probably should get into the, the other book in the morning. And you should. I know. <laughs> and I it don't. Like, and I, <laughs> it felt so urgent in the moment. And then you're like, you're crazy. And I was like, oh, I guess I am a little crazy. Thank you for that, by the way. Sometimes I need you to sort of slap me down. I, I oh, literally just, said, you can take 12 hours to sleep and come over and look at puppies with your sister, your own sister. <laughs> oh, I know. And if she heard that story, she'd be horrified because like, yeah, but we do that to our sisters, right? We treat them like shit because they're our sisters. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, this is a question that I don't know the answer to. How much, when you're writing 
at that level, like you have in this year, like all, all day and night, basically. Um, do you still love it? Oh yeah. But I don't love all of it. Right. I mean, it is a job and sometimes it feels like a job, but no, I mean, I, I love, I don't love the first 500 to 1,000 words of each day because that's the time when I feel like a fraud. So every day I start over and I feel like a beginner again. So that first 1,000 word is it's pretty painful. It's on a par with um, sitting in the dentist chair, I would say. <laughs> but I'm doing it long enough that I know you have to do it. And you can't get to the good words until you write the shitty ones first. Yeah. So you, have to, you just have to do it. But I think we're, you and I and uh, some of our friends are blessed because we know how this feels and we know those are going to be disastrous. Um, but yeah, after that first hundred, then I'm just going and it feels great. <laughs> like this amazing. morning I was writing, I was writing from the point of view of this young man I envisioned and um, uh, I just was Charlie. I was just Charlie sitting in that hotel lobby in Reno in 1952 and I was really enjoying being Charlie. And then my Adderall wore off and now I'm not Charlie anymore. <laughs> I love that you found Adderall to help your ADD. I, oh, I, I absolutely it. Oh, love it. So on the topic of, you know, loving and not loving, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Well, in addition to feeling like I suck every day, which I guess there is no cure for. I think there is. No, I don't think there is. Um, but you know, I don't like, Reviews don't bother me. Uh, if I get a bad review, I just either go, oh, yeah, I should have thought of that, or you're obviously crazy and wrong. Those are really my two responses these days. I really don't take them personally. What I do have a hard time with is social media. I really struggle with it. I um, will continue to struggle with it. I know it's important, um, but it's hard, and I'm total introvert, and it. Um, I find it very intimidating to talk to strangers, whether it's online or in person. So, um, yeah, that's hard. But you know what? I don't regret it because left to my own devices, I would probably uh, not speak to anyone. And that wouldn't be good either. So maybe I can learn to appreciate it, but I don't enjoy it. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Oh, well, you probably know the answer to that. It's when you write a sentence and you look at it and you go, holy shit, I wrote that. And it's just the most brilliant thing you've ever seen. And then all day long, you walk around going, damn, I'm really good at this. And it lasts all the way to the next morning when you wake up and you're crappy again. <laughs> I love that. Me, no, when, I just... I, when I write those sentences, I would say seven out of 10 times, it's removed by the time the book is published. Do you have that happen oh, or do they I make it? I know. I know. And I'm used to that too. In fact, I have to go back to my cut file for the current project. And how often does that happen, Rachel? Never. I've, time. I've, I've, never. Like, yeah, never. You have to go back? Oh, because yeah. you have to do this new revision. Oh, no. We, it's all good though. But it's, it's the only time in my entire, you know, all the books I've written, this is the only time when an editor told me to go back and fetch that old scene and put it back in. That has never happened to me before. And you know that was a hard lesson when we first used it, learned it, right? Because we always thought we would be going back and reusing everything. Um, so I was quite surprised. And I'm going to have to find it, too. I'm going to have to do some keyword searches because I oh, really gosh. don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> but and that, and that is a co-written project. That's not just a you book. So, But it is right. super interesting that you're going into that file. And I would love you to tell me later how that feels to to find it and put it back in. I've never shoved something back in. Huh. Well, and I think it's important to point out that it wasn't because anyone in editorial was like, holy shit, that was a great paragraph you wrote. You know, we need those words. No, it was because... It's a plot thing, right? It's a plot thing. Yeah. I mean, really? Yeah. Nobody cares about my pretty words. I care I, about your pretty words. I really... I 
pretty work. I really do. I love my agent. You know, I love Susanna with all my heart, but sometimes like she'll just send it back. Nope. But I'll be like, that was the best sentence on the page. And it's gone. It's just gone. Oh, and she's always right. I had to tell my co-author because she liked several scenes in the book and I took them out for good reason because the editor told me to and was correct. And then I had to explain to my poor co-author that even though we loved these scenes, they were beautiful. They were beautifully written. Standing alone, they should each receive a tiara, but they did nothing to advance the story. And no matter how beautiful they are, they have to go. If they're not doing two or three or four jobs, they're only doing one. Yeah. They were doing zero jobs, and that's why it's been there. That's worse than Other than to sit there and look pretty. And we all know that sitting around looking pretty is boring, and we all have better things to do than that. That's true. True truth. Right. Can you share a uh, craft tip of any sort with us? Oh, I had a really good one. And, of course, I've forgotten it. What was it going to be? What was it going to be? Shoot. <gasps> Rachel, oh my gosh, did I write it down? We can come back to it, too. Let's come back to, oh, no, I did. I want to share one that was on my mind. Okay. Okay. I have this great little exercise I do. You've heard it before. But um, so many of us struggle with getting emotion in our writing or representing emotion accurately in our writing. And my best tip for that is a habit that you can start practicing. And that is that as you go through your day, your life, and encounter situations that bring up emotions in you, really take the moment to feel them. Maybe not in the moment. If you're having an argument or whatever, obviously you've got to get through that first. But then go straight to your notebook and start noticing how it feels. And I mean um, in in the body, how it feels in the body. And that leads to the tip that you gave me. So I'm going to throw it right back at you with the emotion thesaurus. Oh, gosh, that thing is the best. You probably mention it all the time. I don't. I don't think I've mentioned it in a while. Will you tell people what the emotion thesaurus is? Oh, I can let you do it because you're so smart. (laughs) Well, okay. Rachel told me about this emotion thesaurus that is literally what it sounds like. It tells you um, how emotions are experienced. And um, even if there are emotions that we have access to, like we've all been sad, we've probably all felt guilty, um, it really helps to see it interpreted in that thesaurus format. So. I recommend buying that book. It is excellent. Uh, whenever I show students it, they're like, that's cheating. But it's not, it is cheating in a little way. Like, but it's really not. Like, you, you can look at the word, you can look at the emotion anger and see where it's felt. And I wanted to tell you this the other day. I was angry. I was angry about something that I know that I told you about, but I was angry. And I, and I took the moment because I was at my desk when this happened. It was an email. And, um, and I just took, the moment to actually feel it. And I never remember to do this. I'm such a hothead actor sometimes, or, you know, a knee jerk reactionist. And, we all are. Uh, we all are, right? We, we do. So I sat there and I, and I felt it. I was doing a little bit of meditation and I, and I realized that I only, <laughs> I only feel anger on the left half of my body. What? Isn't that yeah. bizarre? Like the Maybe. anger was lodged in the back of my left side of my head, down my neck, the, like the left side of my chest. I could feel like my, my back was tight just on the left side. Right side, super relaxed. <laughs> you are a miracle of science, Rachel. I really, I should probably be studied. In many, many ways. Okay, well, that's a new one. So how do you remember to do that, though? Because honestly, that's my hardest part. It's like when I'm having an emotion, I barely register. I'm, I'm just learning about emotions now in my life. So remembering to note where they live in my body, how do you remember to do that? Well, first of all, I want to say you have a head start because you have access to your emotions, and that's a really good thing. And I just know that because I know you. Um, but so, so many of us learn to bury our emotions, too. I think we all probably bury some of them, the ones that bring us the most shame. Um, but I've had a lot of training, as you know, um, DBT and other um 
therapeutic methods I've learned. Um, and tracking your emotions is actually good for all of us to do because by tracking them, we can understand what's going on inside us and maybe make changes if they're appropriate. So um, one of the practices that a very basic DBT practice I learned is just to close my eyes and feel what's going on in my body. And as I've shared with you, I'm not good at breathing exercises. Mm. Um, so I don't often do those, but this is a version I can handle. So before an appointment, for instance, I don't look at my phone. I just um, sit in the waiting room, close my eyes and just really feel what I'm feeling in that moment. And um, I'm not good at doing it. And as you know, I've had sort of an emotional month and some conflicts. And in the moment, I'm not good at it at all. But I also like to journal. And I think journaling is another way to recapture what we're feeling in the moment and put it on the page. And because I'm a writer, um, putting things on the page makes them real for me, or at least makes them more comprehensible to me. Absolutely. I could not, not agree more. You know me, you know me in journaling. Um, <laughs> what is the thing in writing that you are most excited to talk or to think about? What's the thing that you keep going back to? Oh, you, you probably know the answer to this one too. I love to read a book that I could not have written a book so good that it's that the author has pulled something off that I can't. I love that. And I don't feel any envy. I truly don't. Um, I just want to talk about it. I want to call you up and you know, it's often you or Julie, I call up and I go, how did she pull this off? And then we talk about it. I mean, I love talking about books anyway. And you, we talk about books for many, we talk about it for professional reasons, for personal reasons, um, all of that. But what I love is reading a book. Um, the, the example that I always come up with is, um, well, actually, I, I was just reading Amy Popel's new one. Um, oh. I think it's called Light. Yeah. But it made me, it put me in mind of her first, her debut. And it was really interesting to me to read that book and, and realize that she had done something in her debut that I could not accomplish yet. So I learned something and I can't wait to try it out myself. I love that. I always go back to The Luckiest Girl Alive, um, which you, yeah. you, we're in this tiny, tiny little mini book club where you generously buy books and then hand them over to me <laughs> when you want to talk about them with somebody. But The Luckiest Girl Alive, I remember just thinking like, I will never like this narrator. I will never believe in this narrator. Yeah. She can't pull it off. And then she did. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? Or when I always say, like when Leanne Moriarty made a stalker a sympathetic character, that was crazy good. You can't. I mean, that. kudos to her. That's why yeah. I want to. That's why I want to write that that hoarder who can be. When are you going to write that book? Oh my god! Sitting there, sitting there in my brain. Okay, what I'll is the what is the knack to get this book done? <laughs> you really want to write it? Uh, what is the best book you've read recently, and why did you love it? So I, of course, have forgotten the title, but I'm going to give you a different one instead. <laughs> what was that book I read that was about the um, the society where, um, well, anyway, I'll just refer to Vox instead. It's a society where women are denied speech. Oh, yeah. I just read about this and they only have 100 words a day to speak. Exactly. So um, I haven't read it yet. So oh. it's a little, um, you know, it's silly of me to be recommending it, but um, it's on my nightstand. And the other one that I read that I really loved, of course, I can't remember. Damn it. All right. I was not prepared today. Sorry. What it, what it was it about? Did I read it? No, it's another one of the, in these themes, the idea of um, oh, these the, novels, the power, the power, the power of women and what's denied them. And But did you read so. that one? Didn't you give me that one? The power? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was fun. <laughs> yeah. That is the one. I knew I could get it if we thought about it. To make a whole person. I um, really love the power, although I have not finished it, which always makes me wonder about a book. Yeah. That makes me wonder too. For me, that was a, a can't put down. So we'll have to talk about it next time we get together. And because you're right, when you can't put it, when you can't finish a book, it doesn't mean it's a bad book. Because as you and I know, we're yeah. our taste is not everybody's taste. 
But it's really instructive to get to that moment and ask yourself why you put it down. And that's probably a practice we should all be doing too. It is. And I also like to do when I decide to put a book down, um, I like to give it one more try. And I'm and I'm really yeah. I'm really callous about books. I'm happy to throw them out at like the ninety percent mark if I haven't finished them and I'm bored. I won't finish it. Um but so I had decided not to finish Jojo Moyes's second book. Um oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that too. Yeah, but I but I just picked it up today when I was taking a little break and I thought, okay, I'll just read a few pages and see if she can get me back. And I think she did. Oh, that's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. I'm I keep walking by it in the library, so maybe I'll pick it up next time I'm there. Mine is a library copy. You can you can borrow it on your Kindle after I'm done with it, which is good you know, for I, the writer people. Support your library. And I've this before. Like I, my, my closest library these days is a library that um, does not have a lot of book borrows in it. It's a great community resource, but our community does not check out books very often. So when I go to the new release table, it is a candy store, baby. It's not like that library I used to go to in Oakland um, on Echo. I could never get anything there. Like I could get uh, the drugs. But um, at this library, I can have anything I want. Oh, so, that is, I'm jealous of you. I'm jealous. I know. Whenever a brand new book comes out in Oakland, like I put myself on the list and I'm so many down, but let's on the list, right? But I haven't talked about this for a while, and I know readers might be curious about this. But it really does help authors if you read in the library, especially if you request from the library. Um, oh, right, yeah. right now I'm on the bad girls list at Oakland Public Library because yes. I have requested as many as I can. I have 15 more days. I got a notice, and in 15 more days, I can go and request to order some more. Um, at that point. The reader's getting paid. I'm getting the book I want for free using my uh, tax dollars. Other people are finding about it, you know, so it's it's fantastic. It's great. You taught me that that trick, and I was on the bad girl list within a month. So, yeah, <laughs> not surprising. They've only recently started sending out when you can get off the list. It just used to be that I, I, would, I would try uh, every day. I know. I must have gotten back on. Well, anyway, I'll have to check. Technology. Okay. Yeah. And so what would you like to, so would you take a moment and tell us where we can find you and also tell us a little bit about the Daisy children? Oh, okay. Well, you can find me at my website and my um, pen name website. So that's sophielittlefield.com and also sophiagrant.com, which is S-O-F-I-A grant.com. And then I am on social media. And I have a feeling that when I get past this last deadline of the year, I'll probably be a little more on there. So I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Oh, Daisy Children. So that was a little bit of a book of my heart. Yeah. Um, I don't want to tell the whole boring story. Yes, please tell, sure. tell us how you got this idea and about the story that inspired it. Okay, but cut me off if I get bored. I, I will. Okay. Don't, so don't worry. Um, years ago, like, Six years ago at this point, I was reading uh, Publishers Weekly, which is our trade magazine that we read. I like to read the reviews there. I just And I read the nonfiction reviews, even though I'm not a big nonfiction reader, just because they're fascinating and you never know what people are going to write about. And uh, once in a while, I find something that really intrigues me so much, I read it. And that was the case with this book um, that was about this disaster that took place in 1937 in Texas, in oil country, where an entire brand new school blew up because uh, natural gas had collected in the basement. And this is the incident, by the way, in um, that resulted in an odorant being added to natural gas. So when you smell gas now, um, that was added as a result of this disaster. But anyway, um, this small county, Rust County in Texas, lost an entire generation of children. And I knew there was a story there. Uh, I didn't want to write about the disaster itself, um, 
because most of my um, my books are about relationships more than events. But what I was thinking about was that after this tragedy, the parents and siblings and the townspeople had to find a way to go on. And I wondered what that would look like and how they would manage. And um, so I sort of, you know, I pitched it to my editor at that time and she wasn't interested, which is really no reflection on her. You know, our editors are interested in some things. I mean, they're just like us. We ha they have tastes as yeah, well. Yeah. So she wasn't interested. And then I think the next one wasn't interested. Um, but I was pretty dogged about this. And so I have a new um, editor when I started writing historicals for William Morrow. I, I write for uh, Lu Lucia Macro and um, Lucia was intrigued enough to let me write a synopsis and she gave me the go ahead. This was our second book together. So we knew how we worked together and she was willing to trust me. So, um, yeah, so I came up with this idea. One of the things I learned in my research was that those families who decided to have additional children after losing theirs and people lost one, two, three, four, you know, entire, yeah. uh, families of children were lost. Some people decided to go on and have more children. Um, and the really interesting thing to me was that um, other surviving parents had great anger at those parents, as well as those who did have children who made it. Not many children did, did survive, but mm -hmm. there were some that did. And there are all these heartbreaking accounts of them um, becoming targets of anger and resentment and really irrational violence. And I think we can understand that in our hearts when we think about how we cope with the emotions around tragedy. Um, but anyway, I envisioned this uh, group of women that pulled together or that came together because they were sort of isolated in their joy at having new children. And uh, that was the germ that sort of was the seed that started the story. But then I wanted to add a contemporary piece, and I Which did. Is my favorite kind of book to read. I love the the contemporary thread mixed with that historical thread and you do I it do. so beautiful and and I and I love that contemporary thread and that hero well, you wrote is just wonderful I love well, that I had play. a great time with it it was really um yeah it was a joy to write and I also um I know this sounds ridiculous because it's a really weighty subject matter but I had fun creating some silly moments and some silly characters that um well I don't know they just tickled me I think at my age at, or at this time in my life I'm more willing to to maybe write more gently. Like not everything has to be the end of the world anymore. Like literally <laughs> with the apocalypse or, you know, sometimes now I'm just satisfied with smaller moments. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I love you. And I'm so glad that you've been on the show today. I love you. And thank I'm going to see you later this afternoon over at, at Julie's house. So yeah. we'll do that. But thank you so much for being on the show. And we will talk very soon. And keep doing what you do, Rachel. Thank Bye. you. See you soon. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.